0: You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Greetings and welcome in. This is Theology for the Rest of Us, and I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, recording from the great city of Orlando, Florida. Thanks for listening. This is episode one fifty-seven, and in just a moment, we're going to be diving into an interview uh, with podcaster extraordinaire Tyler Vella. Had a chance to interview him uh, not too long ago about about a really important topic, and I really uh, thoroughly enjoyed his thoughts. Uh, Tyler has his own podcast, and I'm going to tell you about that in just a moment. Uh, In the interview, we tackle the topic is God a moral monster? And Tyler gives us some great responses to this question. Uh, If we're honest, this is a question that is often asked by people that are seeking to attack Christianity, right? It's not typically asked by people that are genuinely inquiring about God, but people that are are typically seeking to antagonize Christians or malign the character and nature of God or seeking to undermine uh, the Uh, The credibility of the scriptures, people will use uh, this question or similar uh, lines of reasoning uh, to to kind of say that God is a moral monster because God causes evil, wicked things, or that, that somehow God seemingly puts himself above uh, the moral standards that he sets for us, and, and in doing so, God is unjust. So some really, really great thoughts from Tyler in the interview, and again, a very important topic. Uh, so I'm excited to to dive into this and bring it to you. Hey, before we get to the interview, just a, a few quick bits of business. Number one, reminder the importance of being subscribed. If you're listening to this and you're not subscribed to the podcast, maybe you, you came across on social media or some other platform, I want to encourage you, head on over to whatever a podcast player you're familiar with, look up the podcast hit that subscribe button it's the only way to guarantee you never miss an episode because as soon as an episode goes live it gets the, uh, delivered directly to your device so make sure you're subscribed uh, the easiest way to do that actually is to head over to our website theology for the rest of us.com and click on any of those subscription buttons that'll make it easy for you then of course while you're on the site you could check out some other stuff the the archives all the old episodes show notes and uh, the resources page with all of our uh, recommended books blogs and and other resources things of that nature and So check it out. Websites, again, theologyfortherestofus.com. Hey, one other quick item that I want to let you know. I actually have another podcast called the Student Ministry Podcast. So if you or someone you know is in youth ministry or student ministry seeking to invest in the lives of high school, middle school, college students, I want to encourage you to check it out. It's really designed to be a a source of inspiration as well as give you some tools and resources. Again, the easiest way to find that is on our website. Check it out at studentministrypodcast.com. All right, let's dive into the content for this episode. In just a moment, we're going to dive into an interview with Tyler Vela. Tyler is a podcaster himself. Uh, he has a podcast called the Freed Thinker Podcast that is absolutely fantastic, particularly if you're someone that really loves philosophy, uh, presuppositional apologetics, uh, deeper elements of theology, uh, if you really love grappling with sort of the uh, kind of some of the, the, the contemporary debates between Christian apologists and, you know, and atheists and secular humanists, things of that nature. I will I do want to give you a, a heads up that Tyler's uh, Tyler's way of thinking, in my opinion, is kind of just at a different level compared to most of us uh, he 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 is very humble, he would not say this, but but you know when you listen to Tyler, you're just going to know, this dude is smart. Okay, this guy's brain is at a different level than most of us, and I deeply, deeply appreciate that there are people out there that are of extreme high intelligence, that are deep thinkers, that are very articulate, that can defend the faith the way Tyler does. Uh, I also do want to give you a quick heads up that that Tyler's not necessarily the typical type of guy that we would bring on the on the Theology for the Restless podcast. I uh, I think it's going to give you a heads up. Most of the people on this podcast are guys that we want to kind of want to. Uh, we we want to speak in ways that are a little more for the layman. You know, again, the podcast is called Theology for the Rest of Us, right? Uh, some people go to seminary and get PhDs, and that's great. The rest of us, uh, we we do great podcasts like this one. And so, uh, but occasionally, I, I think it's important to bring some guys on that maybe uh, maybe they speak, you know, with with a wider vocabulary. They think at a different level. Uh, they articulate things in a way that maybe the average person wouldn't articulate. Maybe even articulate it in a way that the way I typically would not do or in a way that our guests, our other guests have not would not do, and, and I say that not to disparage our other guests because we've had some we've had some brilliant guests on the podcast I mean, over the first 156 episodes, no doubt. Um, I, I just want to make it clear that Tyler uh, he thinks differently, and, and again he he articulates things in a way that that maybe the that maybe sometimes some people wouldn't fully grasp. So if you have to listen to this a, a few times to get it, that's okay. I was editing it; I had to listen to it several times to get it, uh, but it's worth the effort because Tyler's thoughts are. Really profound, and his defense of the gospel and his defense of the faith. Is uh, is really strong, so I want to highly encourage you to, uh, to to really listen to his words thoroughly. And if you're anything like me, you got to listen to it multiple times to fully get it. That's perfectly cool. Don't feel bad. Don't feel dumb. You and I are in the same boat. Uh, and I really think if you're willing to do that and you're really really to listen through some of Tyler's words, you're really going to walk away with some some insights and uh, and some challenge. Um, I also want to encourage you to check out his podcast. Again, if if you like what you hear from him in this episode, you're going to absolutely love much of what he brings to the table in his podcast, so I'm excited to bring this to you. So, without further ado, my interview with Tyler Vella. We are on the line with Tyler Vella from the great Golden State of California. Tyler, how are you feeling, man?
1: I'm doing great. I'm doing very
0: well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thank you so much for taking time out to invest in our audience. Really, really appreciate it. Um, kind of became a fan of your work from afar. And uh, excited to have you. So uh, let's dive into the the topic at hand: um, Is God a moral monster? You know, before we started recording, you and I were talking offline a moment ago uh, about some interactions I've had with some uh, with some atheist guys about the topic of of evil and God doing things that seemingly is evil from a human perspective. So time is yours, Tyler. Give us your thoughts on: um, Is God a moral monster? And if he's not, why is it that he seemingly gets away with? Things that otherwise we might label evil.
1: Sure, I mean the simple answer is no. Um, God's not a moral monster. That's the that's the really simple, uh, quick answer. Um, the the justification for that's obviously a little bit longer. Um, and and normally I attack this in two prongs. So the first one um, because I'm a presuppositionalist, and for those of your audience who don't know what that is, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um, go, go, on, go on a binge read. I'm not going to explain it now. Um, but but part, of my, part of my strategy is going to say, look, in order for you to say that God is a moral monster, you have to assume that there are such things as objective moral values and duties, uh, of which that God is uh, committing um, actually evil actions and uh, that he has some real obligation not to perform those actions. Um, or, or some real obligation to to abstain from those actions. Um, and so I would press and say, well, that's that's your claim. So you need to defend your standard. You have the burden of proof. It's, it's your objection. And for it to go through, you need to defend that. That typically is going to lead down a massive uh, rabbit trail into moral philosophy that most people aren't trained or have no desire to get into. So a little bit easier way is to say look let let's just grant for the sake of argument that there are such things as objective moral values um and duties and you don't need to defend that on your naturalism because you're running what's called an internal critique so you're you're saying okay let's just pretend for the sake of argument that god exists and on your view there is such a thing as 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 right and wrong well god still does these horrible things Right. So that, that's that's an internal critique. It's saying let's let's look at your system and see if there's an internal inconsistency or internal contradiction that that that's drawn from that's the type of argument that they're giving. The problem is is that once you do an internal critique. You have to allow for all of the other aspects of the system that you're trying to critique. So you can't present a lesser concept, right? Otherwise, you're engaging in a straw man. So as a Christian, I'm allowed to bring in all of the Christian and biblical concepts that I want to bring in that I think are relevant. So issues like um, holiness, for example, what does it mean for God to be holy? Um, what does it mean for God to be immutable? What does it mean for God to be um, uh, the the righteous judge of all the earth? What does it mean that that humanity is sinful and fallen? And what does it mean that sin is deserving of death? And so forth. I can bring in all those concepts to answer the, the objection. So if the objection is saying God is a moral monster for, say, wiping out the Canaanites, right? Right. Um, Part of the problem is is that I can say, well, the the Bible tells us why that happens, right? The Bible tells us that God is is holy and just and that He cannot sin. and it tells us that every single human is is uh, simple and depraved and that sin actually is deserving of death. Now you might not th- as an atheist, well, not you, but whoever I'm talking to, right might not believe that's true. But that's a different issue. Once you're engaging in an internal critique, it does. I don't need to defend that the system is true. I only need to show that there's a defeater within the system for the argument. Right? It, it's a much simpler way to handle the objection than to try to kind of do all these um, jujitsu, you know, backflip moves to try to show why. Oh no, God wasn't. He wasn't really a moral. This type of thing. And what that does dangerously is it's still – you're basically trying to get God off the hook. You're trying to say, well, God really is obliged to our moral standard, but this is why that isn't really a violation of that moral standard, right? Um, so which, which is a problem because on the biblical view, you know, a lot of people aren't comfortable for this. God isn't obliged to our moral standard. God, God doesn't have to, um, he's not a respecter of persons. Like we have to be a respecter of persons. So the, the example I give, because, uh, you know, talking to you beforehand and, and the objections that I get are, well, God does things that I wouldn't, as a human would never be allowed to do. Okay. That's all well and fine, but that's a category error. God isn't, like a big, strong human. right? God, God is categorically different than I am with respect to my fellow humans. So the example I give is that I don't have the right to take a, a murderer, for example, and, and execute vengeance on them right legally i don't i don't have that right i can't take them and lock them away for the duration of the rest of their life or you know execute capital judgment on them
0: you individually but, you individually don't have the right
1: correct me as a person but a judge might right a, a judge can take that person in response to their crimes and after due diligence and 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 and, and their position um, as being different than mine and they do have the right and the authority to lock that person away and maybe i mean we might Quibble over you know capital right, but I think the point gets across that you know in some locations they may have the right um, to to execute capital judgment. They categorically stand in a different relationship ethically um, to that criminal and to that crime than I do as a private citizen. That's they're just categorically different than I am. Well, when we're talking about human morality. Uh, I might not be able to do something to my fellow humans as you know, a co-passenger on the ship, whereas God, uh, the, the, the holy and just judge of all creation, the, the captain of the ship, so to speak, um, might have um, that type of right. He, you know, so there, there's, there's really no reason to think that God is obliged um, to the same moral um, uh, values and duties that I'm obliged to
0: yeah I I, Donna, I think what you just said is I mean you said it perfectly. God God is in a completely different category. I mean, I mean I, I, this is a really simple, almost a stupid metaphor if I'm honest. but it's you know I remember was talking to a high school student once, and literally I told him I said, you know in, in football, the guys are allowed to touch the ball with their hands. But in soccer, they're not allowed to touch the ball with their hands because they're in a different category. They're playing a different sport, which again, this is a this is a horrible metaphor to breaks down very quickly if you if you try to consistently think about it for longer than three seconds. Um, but but ultimately, God is in a different category, just like a soccer player and a football player are in different categories, and therefore, to hold them to the same standard, so to speak, is, in my opinion, absurd. Um, and so, it, how much more is the chasm between humanity and? The divine creator than the two humans playing two different sports. The chasm obviously is much grander, um, and so I think what you're saying is is, is I I agree, I mean, God is uh, it, it, categorically so different. He he's in a different place. So we can't hold him to the same standards. He's not obliged to follow what we or what he has set forth for us, as you said. So what is your typical response when the so then when the atheist responds or when the, t- the typical person who is being combative? In my, in my experience, I don't know about yours, my experience is it's typically not a genuine inquirer who's asking these questions. It's typically someone who's just being combative, right? Right. Um, it, w- when they come to you and say, well, w- what are the standards that God has held to then? Do you have a response to them or or how would you typically respond to that person?
1: I mean, that would be like asking, you know, what color tuxedo did the married bachelor wear? Um, God isn't held to a standard. <laughs> Right. I mean, God, God is the is the standard, right? That that's I mean, it, it, it's just it's a nonsensical question. It, it's 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 the type of question that says, you know, can God make a rock so heavy that he himself can't lift? Well, the answer is no, because that, that's asking for an, a, a ludicrous thing that's asking for an infinite finite. Right. Which is a contradiction in terms. Um, it, they're just ludicrous questions right so asking what is the standard that god is held to assumes that there's some type of authority moral authority or or um obligatory authority that stands over and against judging god um which there just isn't god god is the standard god is you know the summum bonum god is the good um so it's it's just a the, 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 I mean, you can, you can try to, to wrangle around that and all that, but the, the, the simple answer is it's just a nonsense question.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, God is the standard, whatever He does and who He is, He is the very standard that we are seeking to live up to. Obviously, we cannot, which is the reason why Jesus came and stood in our place. And so, I, I think you, you said it perfectly there. Any closing thoughts on that idea?
1: Yeah. I mean, just lastly, again, and if the atheist is going to come back and be like, well, you're just, you're just begging the question. You're assuming your case. That's when I just circle back and say, well, your, your, your objection is an internal critique. I'm perfectly allowed to. Your objection is, I mean, if we stated it clearly, is, okay, if God exists pretending that the God that you believe exists for the sake of argument, then who holds him accountable? Right. So I'm allowed to under that objection, under that type of internal critique, I'm allowed to assume the existence of God, specifically the conception of God that I'm defending. Right. So so, you know, theists, you know, we don't always have to be on the defensive when when we hear, oh, you have the burden of proof. Well, in some cases, yes, and in other cases like this one, well, no, I actually don't need to defend those claims because you have granted them to me as, uh, as part of the type of objection that you're presenting. Now, if you don't want me to beg the question, that's fine, but then you have to admit that your objection is invalid, right? Your objection doesn't go through because it doesn't actually show a contradiction because within my concept, I've shown that there is a defeater for that objection as, uh, you know, internal to, to internal to the system.
0: Now okay I, I mean I love what you just said it's so true if someone is going to grant to you hey well let's for the sake of argument let's say there's a god well then I mean I've th- then my whole desire of pr- of of making the case that there is a god has been made for me from the onset um and therefore a- anything that I believe about god I can bring to the table if I believe god is holy I can bring that to the table to defend anything you say against god in that case now what about the atheist or the person that says I mean, because, and I'm, you probably, I'm sure you run under this, you run up against this, the person who doesn't say that God is a moral monster, um, but the, the fact that the, the, there is no God, and because th- there's no way that there could have been a God, um, because if there was, he would have been a moral monster. Like, like, the idea that your version of God is a moral monster proves that there is no God. What, what is your response to that person?
1: Yeah, at that point, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to ask them, okay, well, what's your standard? What's what's your standard of evaluation? Because clearly, you think that that God, uh, that there's some type of objective moral values and duties that that God is somehow in violation of. Well, how do you ground that on your worldview? Um, and the and the you know you don't have to push very far before someone that that ascribes to naturalism or atheism or secular humanism is really end up defending you know moral nihilism that there that there is no such thing as as objective moral values and duties, um, that it comes down to either personal or social preference, which really ironically um, is the position of wish fulfillment. It, it's the position that says, look, in order for society function, we really wish that that things were wrong, even though we know that they aren't. And so we're going to pretend that they are because most of us want it that way. And we're going to imperialistically impose that on other people and punish people who believe differently. Right. So, So, you know, rape isn't actually wrong it's not objectively wrong there's nothing you know inherently wrong about it just most of us really don't prefer it and so the people that do well they're just you know they're going against social mores and we're going to impose and punish them if they disagree with us it it just is moralistic nihilism and 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 kind of the the Nietzschean will to power just writ large
0: and it's uh, ultimately if, if you deny the existence of a lawgiver, you ult- it, it, it ultimately it gets you to the point where you realize there is no such thing as right or wrong, and therefore you, you can't argue that rape is wrong or murder is wrong. You can't argue that anything is wrong. If there is no lawgiver in the first place,
1: yeah. And the massive irony is that it, it, they'll grant this. So when you present it for those of you who are you know engaged in apologetics, if you present the moral argument for the existence of God, atheists will bend over backwards <laughs> to deny objective moral values and duties. I mean, they'll they'll flat out say things like the Holocaust weren't wrong, wasn't wrong and immoral, and rape isn't wrong and immoral. I mean, they because they they want to deny that God exists. But then you know, what a short memory they have, then they'll come to the Old Testament be like, oh, well, God is evil and immoral and he committed genocide and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you know, 15 minutes ago, you were telling me that there's that there's nothing actually wrong and there's no such thing as real moral obligations, especially across time and culture. And so why, you know, on your worldview, first of all, why is there, you know, why do you think that there's, you know, he's committing any type of real wrongs? But even, even then, even if I kind of quasi grant that, why should we think again that that a supreme being you know 2000 what, 3000 years ago in a different country in a different land in a different culture which you would argue in all other cases um, it needs to abide and uphold to our current modern late western you know kind of liberal uh, sentiments and 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 uh, desires um, so they they're just uber uber inconsistent within their own argumentation
0: man Tyler, we we could go all night on this. This is really, uh, really great stuff. Uh, Give us us, uh, any resources out there um, in addition to your own podcast, any other additional resources, books, blogs, or anything you might recommend uh, for any Christian out there that wants to continue to dive into some of these topics and understanding how to articulate the arguments.
1: Yeah, I I normally recommend um, William Lane Craig uh, for, you know, I have some disagreements with him on certain things, but he actually, in his Defenders class, he does, I think it's a seven or eight part series on the moral argument, um, and he does a great, great job defending the moral argument and gets into all of these issues.
0: That's incredible. We will make sure we have that linked up on the site. Uh, Tyler, give us a 10 second rundown on the Freed Thinker podcast. You know What is it and why are you doing it?
1: The Free Thinker podcast is um, my attempt to engage uh, robustly and philosophically and biblically um, and charitably with um, secular and atheistic objectors uh, to the faith, which is my personal background. I I was an atheist growing up before becoming a Christian, um, and so that's my my focus. It's apologetics geared towards um, skeptics um, and unbelievers, uh, not necessarily geared towards the cults.
0: And there you have it my interview with Tyler Vella I told you he was smart right <laughs> I um I love 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 when we have modern day Apologists and philosophers, kind of taking the baton from the previous generation or running with it. You know, uh, we, we've had great apologists in the past, and we've got great modern guys in the, you know, in in our sphere. But Tyler is one of the one of the guys, kind of one of the younger guys that I think will be uh, one of the preeminent apologists uh, within evangelical circles. You know, over the next several decades, I love his podcast, love his work, uh, confident in in his thoughts, confident in the future books he's going to write. I think that's going to be some really great stuff. I love his desire to uh, to engage with the atheists and secular communities in a robust manner, using both philosophy, but also being uh, you know theologically and biblically uh, well founded and solid in, in those in those regards in those areas. Um, I love his desire to uh, to challenge and to expand people's thinking. I love his reminder to us that God is not just this big strong human in the sky. God is categorically different, and therefore it is inappropriate. And and nonsensical, to try to hold God to a human standard. Um, God is the creator. We are the created beings. He gets to determine what uh, what standard he holds us to. We don't get to determine what standard we hold him to. Uh, God is the standard, and anything God does is good because God is morally righteous. God is good all of the time, and we cannot do all the things that God does, uh, number one, because we are not we are, we are not creators in the way God is, uh, so we don't have the ability to do that, uh, but also because we are categorically different than God, or God is categorically different than we are, uh, and therefore God is held, or, or, or when we view God, there is a different standard. He is the standard, um, and yet he can do things that, that we could not do uh, because he is categorically different than we are. Again, it is nonsensical to try to hold God to our standard. Humans are not good. In ourselves, we are not morally righteous. We are not naturally good. We are inherently depraved. And we do many things from evil ambition and evil and selfish motives. God never functions that way. God does things that are always good and right. And we in our limited human, finite, depraved minds cannot possibly begin to understand How much grander God is, how much more infinite God is, and how categorically different God truly is. I really, really appreciate some of Tyler's reminders and thoughts, and I thought that I think that was really, really valuable. Hey, if you like what Tyler had to share, I want to highly encourage you to check out his podcast. It's called the Freed Thinker Podcast. We'll have a link to his website in the show notes. For this episode, you can head over to our website, com. Look at the show notes for this episode, episode 157, and you'll see a link there. It'll take you right over to Tyler's website where you can subscribe to the Freed Thinker podcast. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm always thankful for our our audience. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like me to address, feel free to shoot me an email. Or if you think you know someone that would be a great interview guest, I would also love to hear from you. Either way, shoot me an email. The address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. If you would like to connect with me personally, the best way to do that is on Twitter. I'm sort of a Twitter-holic, so I'd love to find you there. Feel free to reach out to me. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.